Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rooted Deep, a podcast featuring Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. This is Reba, and I am here with Allison today, and we are so excited to uh, be with you today on Rooted Deep. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, you are in for a treat today uh, because we are just doing a a really great interview. And Allison, we just love when we have the opportunity to interview people uh, because we get to introduce so many of the listeners, not only to some of our friends, but also to people that we know are doing really great work around the globe. And that's what we're really getting a chance to do today. Exactly. And one of the things that I like is because even though we're trying to introduce um, these different people to our listeners, we're also, I know that we always step away from these interviews, just being more challenged and uh, more excited about, about our work and what God is doing around the world. So we're very thankful for our guests today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, today we've got our friend Abdul Latif with us today, and I'm so excited that he's with us. He is the director of Light of Life, uh, which works in restricted areas. So um, you'll notice that we're, uh, we won't ask every question in the book that you might be thinking, why didn't they ask that today? Well, there's certain things that uh, we want to protect today. So we'll be careful about how we how we talk and how we uh, questions that we do ask, but he works in restricted access countries to share the gospel in creative ways. And I love that description uh, in those creative ways of being able to find a way to bring people the good news of the gospel. So welcome to the podcast, our friend. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's good to see you again, Reba. I know we've known each other for a few years now through church, and it's good to meet Allison yeah. as well. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah, so let's jump in. I would love to hear just your story. This is, you didn't start out wanting to be a missionary necessarily. Um, so just, you know, jump in. Sure. Well, I mean, that, that's a big question, but uh, I'll give you a little bit of the Cliff Notes version. Uh, nothing about how I started would have said that I ever would have been in missions. Uh, I was born in the Middle East. Uh, I was born in a country that's 95% Muslim. And uh, I was born into a, a devout Muslim family, especially on my father's side. And uh, I always say I can't share my story without sharing a little bit about my father's story. My father, being a very devout Muslim, was a student of the Quran, the holy book of Islam. And as he would read the Quran, he fell in love with someone. And that person was Jesus Christ. Most people don't know that the Quran actually talks more about Jesus than it does about Muhammad. And... Um, As he learned more about Jesus, he had a problem. He wanted to know more, but he didn't know a single Christian. He had he didn't have any Christian friends. He had maybe met a few here and there and in passing, but didn't know anyone. And so one day after Friday prayers, uh, outside of the mosque, he said to his uh friend, I want to read more about the holy books that came before the Quran. Because Muslims believe that there were holy books that were at one time. Uh, holy, uh, that were written before the Quran. And his friend said, oh, I know where you can get one of those. If you send away in the mail to Lebanon, this is in the 70s, if you send away to the mail in Lebanon, you couldn't buy one in his country, they'll send you this book. It's called the Bible, and it tells you more about Jesus. Wow. So he began to read the scriptures, and that really caused him to have more questions, but he didn't know who to ask. So he was able to find one Bible-preaching church uh, in the city that he lived in, a city of 8 million people, and that's the one that he went to. And there, someone began to answer his questions, 
and what he learned. And it's really the paradigm that we use even to this day working in the Middle East is that Jesus was more than a prophet. He was a savior. And that was something that my father needed to hear because he felt that he, no matter how many good works that he did, he was never going to work his way into heaven. And to find that Christ paid for his sins was transforming. So I like to say, uh, the Quran led my father to Jesus. Jesus led my father to the, to the scriptures. The scriptures led my father to a church, which led him to a man who could explain to him what he was reading. And uh, after that, you know, the normal things that happened in the Middle East, persecution came, our family abandoned us. Uh, they never spoke to my father again when he, as, after he came out to them as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having to come to the United States. We came to the U.S. when I was only four years old. And uh, here in the United States, my father started a Muslim, uh, a work among the Muslim people. Uh, I'm based in the Metro Detroit area, and we have about a half a million Arab-speaking people in the Metro Detroit area. And uh, that progressed to church planning. There was a, a radio program, a TV program. He passed away suddenly, and I was asked by our board of directors of Light of Life if I would take over. Uh, they said that was a natural choice. And my answer to them was no, no, thank you. Because I had seen my father called the traitor. I had seen him. Uh, yeah. I had seen all of the bad things. But uh, when the Lord, when they asked me to pray about it, the Lord really kind of began to bring to mind all the people that came to know Christ because of his work and all of the spiritual rewards that he had. And so I went back to the board several months later, and I said, I'll, I will take over the ministry with one condition. And they said, what's that condition? And I said, I want to be able to plant churches in the Middle East. And they said, well, how are you going to do that? That's not, that's not legal. And my answer was, I don't know, but if God is in it, he'll open doors. Yeah. And that was about eight years ago. And uh, sure enough, one door after another has opened. And we're not a huge ministry by any means, but we've uh, we've had a lot more success than we ever anticipated. A lot more trials and tribulations than we've mm. ever anticipated. Mm. Oh wow! But, uh, basically, God got us there. I, I've yeah. been I've been reluctant most of the time to follow, but I knew what God was doing in my life. But in the end, when I follow, I find I find that uh, I'm I'm better for it. So that's kind of oh. how I got there. That's really cool. Because now you were you were a business major, right? If I remember correctly, uh, reading reading and talking to you, you started off as a as a business guy, going in the business direction. Well, that's part of my reluctancy, you know. Uh, being yeah. born in the Middle East, my friends kind of joke that I'm a Jonah. You know, Jonah had to had to go to Nineveh, which is in the Middle East. Uh, every <laughs> every part of the way, I've kind of done the opposite of what I knew God wanted for me. I grew up in a Christian home with two really great Christian parents. I never doubted their faith because I saw how real it was, but I never wanted to be a part of it because I saw how much it controlled their lives. And I didn't Mm. want God to have that kind of control over me. So I didn't accept Christ until I was 17, just before I was about to go away to college. And then when I accepted Christ, I knew immediately that God was calling me into the ministry, but I was a business major for two years because I didn't want to go into the ministry. And I remember one day (laughs) after taking an accounting class that I really hated, I was sitting there doing the homework. And I just thought, I hate this. I just want to be reading my Bible right now. Yeah. Wow. And it was kind of a light bulb moment. And I went yeah. out and I told whoever I could find in the dorm, my a guy that lived across the way, I said, Hey man, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a Bible major. And the guy looked at me, he said, you're not a Bible major already. You're involved in like every ministry on campus. Like <laughs> I just thought you were, <laughs> and I said, no, man, I'm a business major. So every part, every uh, part along the way, 
when I've known what God has wanted me to do, I haven't done it. Thankfully, now I can say that uh, I finally learned my lesson. But I would say there are three or four kind of pivotal moments where God had to just make it abundantly clear, just flash the lights in my eyes. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You know you're supposed to be doing this. So yeah. um, do this. I, and again, I was in the sales world, and I won't get into that story. <laughs> but I, I, as an excuse, I took a job in the sales world, and I said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do any ministry and be in full-time ministry, even though I had a ministry ministry degree until I pay off my student loans, thinking that that would buy me years of time. Mm -hmm. I got a great job, and within six months, my student loans were paid off. (laughs) And I stayed at that job seven more years because I was reluctant. But uh, what I found was that God knows better than I do. Oh, that's really good. So tell us a little bit about um, how, like, tell us a little bit about the the ministry, Light of Life, um, (laughs) and I know you shared a little bit that your dad kind of was pivotal in getting that whole thing started and off the ground, but what, is that, what does that look like today? And, and, and help us understand that a little bit better. Sure. So today, 100% of our work is in the Middle East. It's in countries where uh, evangelism is illegal. You can't openly be a missionary. Um, you can't openly give someone a gospel tract or a Bible. In the countries where I work in, if I were to give someone a Bible, uh, that I didn't know, and they were to report me, I'd go to jail for a week um, because you're just not allowed to do things like that. Uh, but we have a heart and a burden for those places because so often they've been neglected and overlooked. And many times, if we're being honest, people don't know how to reach those places. Right. But uh, really, I, we have a strategy. We work with nationals, people who are there in country who have been born again, and we help train them, we support them, and then we send them out to reach their local neighborhoods because what we find is working with them, they have a passion uh, and a love for their community. And so much of missions, the success is based out of a love and not not kind of this Disney kind of a love, but the, that love that Christ had for us, you must have for others. And so we do so many things I never thought we did that I thought we would do. Our goal is to plant churches, but we often find ourselves having to do other things in order to to do that. And we're working a lot with uh, refugees in refugee camps. One of the countries that we work in has 18 refugee camps in it, uh, containing over a million refugees. And we take that as a challenge and an opportunity because they're coming from other parts of the world where they could not hear the gospel to our part of the world for protection. But there we have a small opening to share the gospel with them. And so pretty much anything you can think of to do, we do to get the gospel there. You mentioned um, in in the intro, or Reva mentioned that you share the gospel in creative ways. What would some of those um, just kind of give us a, uh, some examples? It's not your basic door to door, and you know, it, uh, what what does it look like? How creative yeah. have you gotten? <laughs> uh, well, we've started a sewing program. Mm-hmm. We've started. I know uh, people can't see me, but uh, we've started a, a a program for young women that teaches them how to cut hair, which I know nothing about. What do I know about styling hair or makeup or anything <laughs> like that? In the past, we had a bakery that would pass out bread for free. Um, and we would give that to those who needed it and explain to them why we were doing that. We provide uh, over a thousand bags of food every year to people who need it. And we do it with a very specific message. What we do is we say, your Muslim brothers and sisters have chased you away from your homes. 
and we, your Christian enemies, you consider us your enemies, are coming here to help you in your time of need, whether it be with food or with clothing or something else. And we tell them very specifically, we say, and we know if the roles were reversed, you wouldn't do that for us. But our faith demands that even if you consider us your enemies, that we love you and we help you at, at, during this time. And so when Muslims are killing other Muslims and are chasing them out of their homes and Christians stand in the gap with that message of love and they actually put action behind it, yeah. it makes a difference. So those are just some of the creative ways that we're doing. There are more, but I can't share obviously all of them. No, sure. thank you for thank you for sharing those, those few. I think that's one of the things that um, when we talk about um, just missional living, it needs, you have to be creative and you, in every country. And we've seen that. And I think Reba, Reba has seen that obviously in Guatemala where she's serving as well. Um, we know that you work with um, victims of, of, of ISIS. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We hear this word <coughs> in the news sometimes, and I think we might have maybe a misconception as, as um, you know, just maybe from what the news gives us. So, so what does that look like on the ground? Sure. And, uh, and if I can just kind of touch on the last question, mm. too, about being being creative, there are certain principles that we have as a ministry that we think are important um, and keys to us reaching people. One of them is we weave ourselves into the fabric of the community. Beautiful. Our goal is to be in the communities where we are uh, to, to be indispensable so that even if they hate us, they, they want us there. So we do a lot in helping people. And the goal isn't just to help them because what are we going to do with a million refugees? What we do is a drop in the bucket. But we make we make ourselves known in the community that these are people who love and care and they do it because of their faith. As far as the refugee situation, obviously it's become um, politicized in a lot of ways, but I can speak to the refugees that I know personally, and I've met hundreds of them, and they want to tell, they always say, you know, can I tell you my story? And it's pretty much always the same thing. What they'll say is they were at home in their village, and there was a knock at their door, and when that person knocked on their door, what happened was it was someone from ISIS. And that person from ISIS gave them a piece of paper and, you know, standing there all in black, big beard and everything. Mm. And what he said to them was the piece of paper. What the piece of paper said was that they had three choices. They could either leave, they could join ISIS, or they could die. Mm. But they told them that uh, within 24 hours, they would be coming through and anyone there would either be killed or have to join ISIS. So they're really people that are running away from their homes in order to um, to find um, uh, refuge from from ISIS. So that's really uh, the 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 people who we deal with. Yeah. Some of them are also running away from civil war or other other terrorist groups. Well. Well, now I know that you also, um, as we were talking, you work with uh, sometimes those victims uh, who have been, uh, you know, a victim of ISIS and they're coming out of different situations. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Sure. So one of the most uh, significant groups that we work with is the Yazidis. And the Yazidis are a group of about half a million people who were completely unreached. Um, before ISIS, and they're neither Muslim nor Christian. They're their own separate religion. Then there was about half a million of them living on the border of Syria and Iraq. And when ISIS attacked, those were the first people that they attacked. Okay. They killed uh, thousands of the men, 
and they took about 9,000 of the women to be slaves. And I don't want to uh, get you know too much into it, but I think we understand why these ISIS men took over 9,000 of these women as slaves. And when mm-hmm. I say women, really, they were, they were young women. They took them as young as nine years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of them, about half of them have received their freedom. Um, half, we, we're not sure if they are still living with ISIS or uh, have been killed or what, but half have received their freedom. And um, because of the abuse that they face and because they come from a very traditional society, um, they are looked down upon and hated. Um, of course, they've done nothing wrong. Right. Um, many of them have been traumatized. They've been sold back and forth between ISIS men. Uh, I know one young lady that we worked with, she was traded for, for, a, for a pistol, for a gun. I mean, that's how little their lives meant to them. But as a result of that, uh, they face a large stigma. And uh, no one will marry them. And I was visiting some Yazidi people. And when I was visiting them in their refugee camp, the mother of one of these young women, she said something to me that stuck in my head. She said, who will have my daughter? And what she was saying is no one will marry my daughter. She's considered Mm -hmm. unwanted, unlovable. What's going to happen to her? And I began to pray about how can we find a way to reach these young Yazidi women? and. a lady who was Yazidi, who is Yazidi, who was a seamstress, said, well, let's teach them to sew. We'll put them through a sewing course. That way they have a way to uh, provide for themselves. Mm. And so that's what we did. We started a little pilot program with about 10 of them. We put them through a six-month course. And what we told them is if they finished, we'd give them a sewing machine and some fabric and some stuff to get started with so that they could support themselves. And what we thought is they were coming um, in order to learn how to sew. But that was really secondary. They were coming because they wanted somebody to care about them. Uh, we had them, half of them would work in the morning with the seamstress, and then they would, the other half would work with a Christian counselor that we had. And they really, they really would unload on her all of their pain and their grief and the things that they felt. And uh, it's really, it's really heartbreaking because they're being uh double victimized they were victimized by isis having done nothing wrong and then if that wasn't enough after their freedom they're being victimized by society and have done nothing wrong and our christian counselor uh when she works with them i i asked her once how do you know when you're making progress she said i know we're making progress when they laugh or smile because when they come to us they can't do either and we've had 80 young women uh go through our course and the message of Christianity is tailored perfectly for them. What they tell us so many times is, no one can love me. No yeah. one wants me. And what we tell them is, if no one else wants you, if no one else loves you, Jesus does. You know, we explain to them that they've done nothing wrong and that, and that Christ does want them. And so that is one way we're working with some uh, people who have been uh, abused by ISIS. Yeah. Have, um, Irfan has, have your, uh, your connections, your networkers or staff all, um, in these areas, have they experienced, um, 
secondary trauma just by being listening to these stories or just listening sitting down with a woman who's been so traumatized how do, how do you guys you know minister to one another and 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 take care of each other in that aspect yeah that's a great question and uh, i i probably shouldn't uh probably shouldn't say this but i'll be quite honest with you you know when i go there many times the young women want to tell me their story because they know me as kind of the big boss kind of a guy <laughs> and um you know i sit and i listen to their stories but when I'm coming back, you know, flying on the trip, I, I pray, Lord, I, uh, please, like, help me to forget what they told me. Because yeah. it, yeah. it breaks your heart. They tell you things that if, they, if you weren't hearing them directly from the victim, you wouldn't believe that they were true. Right. right. Yeah. And so there is, um, there is a lot of, uh, it's a, all I can say is it's a difficult situation. Right. It's not something that I was prepared for in Bible college or anything yeah. in life. Yeah. Um, but it, it, in the middle of that, you know, we've seen some of the young women accept Christ and be saved, and we've seen a huge difference in their life. Um, the suicide rate is about 25% among, uh, among these ISIS survivors. Uh, of the 80 young women that we've worked with, every single one of them has contemplated suicide, but yeah. not one. Now one has committed suicide. So we try to look on how we can step into their lives and the difference that we can make through Christ. And um, what I can say is, after all these years of working in the, in the Middle East and in some very difficult places, it never surprises me how bad uh, mankind can be to each other, but mm -hmm. how gracious God is to us. So yeah. we have to balance that and know that man did this to them, but Christ can solve them and God does give beauty for ashes. And that and the 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 healing is in the name of your ministry, the light of life. And when in the darkest places, you know, his light, you know, can shine and, and bring bring life. Um and, and I think it's beautiful that that is something that we we could each pray for um you and your and 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 the people that you work with, but also mm -hmm. understand that when somebody gives you their story to honor them honor their story and just and pray pray for them you know through this so i think that you know thank you for sharing that part i know it was a difficult, sure. a difficult well, and even question. when the young women want to share their stories but really all the refugees try to want to say yeah. can i tell you my story yeah. they yeah. just want someone many times that will listen to them and and hear them and see them as a person see them as a human being because many times even in the refugee camps if they haven't faced the trauma of being a slave to ISIS, they're, they've still been run away from their home. They've oh, yeah. been living in these camps, several of them, four or five years now. Yeah. Uh, and, and these camps, you know, they don't take very good care of them, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, it's the idea of seeing them uh, as an individual and seeing them as someone that God created. Oh, that's so good. Well, you know, I think that it really leads us to a question that I think is important right now, and that is, how can we pray? for your ministry, how can we pray specifically? Um, we, what we hope is that people listening uh, as they hear uh, your story uh, are drawn to say, hey, I, I don't know what all I can do. We're going to give them an opportunity to take a little action here in just a second. But I think maybe that first question is, how can we pray for what you're doing specifically? So, of course, I'm limited in what I can share. What I tell people is if you really want to get to know about our ministry, the best way to do it is to follow my Facebook profile because 
everyone I know there is someone who, uh, you know, I've accepted as a friend. I keep all of my posts private. And there I can share a little bit more openly and I can share in real time. We do have a newsletter that goes out once a month. But I can share in real time some of the problems that we have. And when you're working in a restricted access country, you know, the people don't want you there. The government doesn't want you there. You're, you're, it feels like sometimes you're going from one crisis to another. Hmm. And uh, we know that in the end, that, that we're in a spiritual war, that God wins the war, and that we yeah. will be victorious. But the truth is, along the way, there are battles that you lose. And, and we realize that. So the way that they can pray for us is to, is to maybe become more uh, involved or become more aware of what we're doing, kind of by following me on Facebook, and then praying for specific situations, that, that doors would be open, that, uh, that people who would come against us would fail. And uh, those, would be, those would be some of the ways. And there are many times where a door has opened to a ministry, and I think to myself, there must be a, a lot of people praying for us, because I didn't think that door would open, yet it opened. Yeah. Hope that so- makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, we, Allie and I both understand that really well as we, uh, you know, slightly different worlds, but as we both uh, have faced difficult situations, you know, with people and uh, we, we understand exactly some of the things uh, that you're talking about, especially with the trauma that people have faced and the difficulties they go through and, and wanting someone to love and care and just to be able to tell their story to. Um, and those are, powerful opportunities so so let let's find out then um you mentioned your facebook page people can connect with you on your facebook page um i, I know you have a website um and i know that you've got some you've got a, so a project that's going on right now so uh talk talk a little bit about that sure every every uh christmas we have a, a christmas connection fundraiser um, by the time this is posted, I believe the fundraiser will already have been over. We, we do it on November 30th. Uh, and uh, what we do is, you know, you can sponsor us to help feed a family, to give a gift to one of the Yazidi women that we work with, or, or to sponsor gifts for one of the uh, pastors that we work with and their family. And um, about a third of the people that we see come to know Christ uh, our first interaction with them is during this Christmas season, and it's through this fundraiser that we do. And so it's a little bit more of a personal way to, you can give your money and then you can see on Facebook some of the things that we'll do, the food that we'll give away, some of the lives that we'll touch. Um, and obviously we focus on the poor during that time. Um, so that is really one way you can do it. And that's our, that's our big end of the year project called our Christmas Connection. And then something you can also pray for is uh, next year in one of the countries where we work in, we're planning to open a brand new church plan, a brand a, among a, a group of people that um, are new to us. So that's a little bit nerve wracking, but we believe that God is leading in, in that way and that he'll open those doors. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, our Christmas connection is our, is our big fundraiser. It's the end of the year and we do a lot. We, uh, we have about uh, 300 children that will give them a pair of boots and a toy uh, because, you know, you wouldn't think about it, but in the Middle East, it does get cold in the winter. They always need boots in the wintertime. It rains a lot and they don't have them. And then we always give them a toy because I personally feel every child should get a toy for yeah. Christmas at least. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and you would, you, you would, you would be shocked how that one toy brings so much joy. And uh, if anyone has seen in the past, 
some of the Facebook posts I see, you can see them with, with this. And yeah. it's nothing, nothing big, you know, an eight, $10 toy, $5 toy. And it's, it's the only Christmas gift they're going to get from any of them. And so we'll do yeah. that for about 300 children. And, uh, and it's a, it's a great way to, to, uh, to bring some joy during Christmas time and to think of others. Yeah. Which, that's so we cool. Be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, you know, uh, Dare for More partnered with you, uh, back, uh, probably about two years ago in a project that you guys were doing with the bread and the shoes. And um, we were excited to be a part of that and to just to be able to help people get some shoes and get some food as people were crossing uh, the border at a pretty high rate at that point in time. And and, uh, you put out a call for help and we were excited to be able to be a part of that. So um, I really think that's really what the, the body of Christ is all about is being able to gather together on opportunities where we can, uh, you know, where where many hands make light work, and as we can uh, all be a part of something that's really doing some great stuff. So, uh, man, this has really been good. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we've I've enjoyed this interview, and I think gives people some uh, ways to pray, some ways to maybe to get connected with you. Uh, and then uh, hopefully what I'd love to do uh, maybe is have you back on a follow-up interview and talk a little bit more. Um, about how we can be more engaged uh, with people that are from the Middle East who may live across the street from us or may live uh, in our communities and in our neighborhoods and how we as believers can engage with them more. I think uh, we've got to get, Allie, we've got to get him back on the schedule for, for that for that podcast. So that would be awesome. Well, hey, we always end the same way, uh, or at least we try to, uh, with some rapid fire questions. So um, these are just kind of fun, uh, usually get to know you a little bit kind of questions. Uh, you know, we're, uh, I think one of the things they do for us, sometimes we interview these people and people you're listening are sometimes like, wow, you know, that person's really, I, I'm not like them. And I'm like, you know, these rapid fire questions remind everybody, yeah, we, we really are all somewhat the same. Um, and we all get up every morning and, and try to, get through our lives um, very much the same, leaning on the Lord, hopefully, and, and having him help us. But nobody is a superhero in any of, in any of this endeavor. So true. So, so here we go. We're going to jump in. These are just kind of fun, just rapid fire answer them, just whatever comes off the top of your head. So I'll start with the first one, and then I'll let Allie and I'll go back and forth with the questions. So outside of the Bible, what book has impacted your life? Um, well, I mean, it- it's a Christian book, so I, I hate to sound super spiritual, but <laughs> A Radical by David Platt, well, I read when I came out, and it really changes the framework of a lot of my thinking and uh, kind of kind of rescued me out of, uh, you know, Christianity when it's convenient to where Christianity where, you know, you're, you're saved to serve. That's, that's part of it, and, and you need to get in the game, and you need to get into the fight. And it really made me aware of the spiritual battle that's going on. When I'm over in the Middle East, I can see it so strong. Here, we can forget that's going on because yeah. our lives are a lot different. So yeah. that's really that's really a book that I think changed the course of my thinking in a lot of ways. That is a great book. What are some things that maybe you enjoy doing in your free time? If you we we don't normally get a lot of people with a lot of free time to interview, um, (laughs) but if you had free time, what would you enjoy doing? Uh, Well, I I love to read, but uh, but besides that, uh, I I love sports. I'm a sports fanatic. 
And uh, really, I'm a, of, of all the sports, football is my favorite. I don't get to watch as much as I would like, but yeah. I love pro football. I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so pray mm-hmm. for me. Oh yeah, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> fortunate, really. <laughs> it, you know, it works out when you're when you're when Sunday is your busiest day. Yeah, I, I could just kind of check in on the lines and say, "Oh, they lost again." Okay, we'll be good. <laughs> doesn't tear your heart out. <laughs> I'm, also college, your I'm also a college football fan. Yeah, uh, big Michigan Wolverines fan. I get to watch two or three games a year. Uh, so those are the those are. The, I don't know why I'm a football fan. Whenever I watch a game, I'm nervous and pacing around and, yeah. and biting my nails and thinking, "Why? Why do I do I do this to myself?" <laughs> but uh, actually, if I have free time, I love to watch any kind of game I can. That's good. Cool. So tell us this: something that people often get wrong about you, uh, besides how to pronounce your name. I was going to say that my name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my name is. Uh, I've been called all kinds of things, and. Uh, and uh, you would be surprised some of the things, uh, some of the ways that people can can butcher a name. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, I guess the only the, the thing that people often assume is that I'm married. Uh, I'm not. Uh, no woman has been that lucky. Um, uh, this is maybe a, <laughs> this is maybe something for another episode. But uh, there's nothing wrong with me. I just realized. Uh, I just realized at some point that I probably wasn't built for marriage. So probably better not to. And, uh, and it's probably better for me in a lot of ways because I get, I get myself into a lot of dangerous situations that I would be worried if I were married, mm-hmm. but because I'm not, I can, it frees me up to do some things. So very good. Yeah. Well, so, but good. it's very, I, I do a fair amount of speaking at churches and things like that. And pastors, pastors will say, Irfan, before you get started, tell us about mm-hmm. your family. And I'll be like, well, I'm single. So yeah, yeah. not much it's to say. Funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, so what's your favorite movie? If it, if you're going to kick back and just relax. Uh, again, I'm a huge sports fan. So Rudy yeah. is probably, mm-hmm. probably, yeah. probably one of my favorite, favorite movies. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, of course. Oh, yeah. I think that's yeah. like in everybody's top five Classic. movies. Yeah. I could there give you, you a bunch more, but yeah. All right. Those are good. All right. So favorite meal. I mean, you know, if it's just going to be your, you get to pick your favorite place to eat or your favorite foods that are going to be on the table. What are you picking? Man, that's that's a tough one for me. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy, so I'd probably say just a really good hamburgers or a really good steak. Can't do can't do uh, can't do much better than that. Yeah, I, you know what? You probably don't get it as much, but a really good steak. That's a, that's a ten out of ten for me. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. So when uh, you know you're home from your travels, and uh, what's on your nightstand? What's on my nightstand? My Apple charger, my phone. What else? Uh, a bottle of water because I get dry mouth in the middle of the night and I wake up and I have a sip yeah. of water and uh, and a uh, and just a table lamp. That's about it. Pretty yeah, boring. That's I it. Guess. Very simple. Good. All right. So tell us this. What, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. And an ordinary moment in my life that brings me great joy. <laughs> How about? <laughs> And this is terrible to say. How about that first sip of coffee in the morning? Because right. I'm not yes. really, I'm not really awake, and I'm not going to lie to you. I go for the convenience. I use a Keurig, and it's not great coffee, but at least it's coffee. So, so <laughs> I, I wake excellent up. Excellent answer. Yeah, I wake up and usually the first thing is first thought in my mind is let's get a cup of coffee going. <laughs> well, Allie's the coffee connoisseur, so we won't let her shame you on the Keurig kind of thing. But Allie I, knows I, I every understand. way to make coffee. <laughs> It, there's a there's a big difference between a Keurig and a great cup of coffee, but 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm half asleep. I'm not a morning person. Yeah. You know, I'm waking up. It's it's all I can do to push that little button in there. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes you start with a Keurig just to get you going, and then you wait till the the later on in the day to where you can get a really good, you know, exactly. favorite. My favorite type of coffee is Turkish coffee. That is, I'm, I'm oh, still yeah. trying to learn how to make that. So we have that. Um, we have that quite a bit in the Middle East. I bet. And yeah. um, uh, one of the the pastors that I work with, he's 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 with me most of the time when I'm over there, and he'll drink four to six of those a day it's it's pretty insane i mean i can drink one and it'll yeah and it'll make you it'll give you energy for for hours he drinks about four to six a day it's insanity that's what we need now what is something that you're deeply grateful for i'm deeply i'm deeply grateful for uh for having christian parents for parents who uh who from the very beginning uh taught me what was right and wrong and held me to a standard even though i didn't like it when i was young um, part of my story too is I grew up in Detroit. When I say I grew up in Detroit, I didn't grow up in the suburbs. I grew up in the heart of Detroit. We were immigrants. We came, you know, we were very poor. We didn't have much money. And and the area that I grew up in, people would call it a ghetto. I didn't know it at that time. And there was a lot of drugs and a lot of things that were around. And because because my parents were the way they were, kept me out of a lot of trouble. Because um, as a young person, I was kind of I would was always looking for trouble but they kind of shielded me for that and, uh, and i'm grateful it's probably a lot of uh bad things that they kept me from oh that's good well we always end with this question and it kind of ties in to our podcast theme and that is what keeps you deeply rooted uh, well so so let me so let me admit this i kind of shared that uh, when you work in a restricted access country, you're kind of going from crisis to crisis, and it does weigh on you, and it does burden you. And if you're not deeply rooted, you're gonna you're gonna walk away at some point. And yeah. I would say every two or three months, you know, I start typing out my resignation letter, and just because I feel like I'm overwhelmed and it's too much. Yeah. And then I always think, Irfan, what is going to bring you as much joy as this? And the answer is nothing. I mean, I could. I could have a, a really important job at some place and make a lot of money, and it would not bring me as much joy as I get out of what I'm doing right now. Mm. And that's that's what that's what keeps me deeply rooted. I, I didn't understand it then, but I can look back at it now and see so many things that that God was putting in place that I am exactly where He wants me to be, and I know that. Arabic is an extremely difficult language to to learn. I wouldn't be fluent unless I grew up in a in a home where they spoke that getting into the Middle East cannot be is not very easy. But because I was born there, that helps me a lot. Understanding the culture, being a third culture kid, all of those things were put me there. And so what keeps me deeply rooted is knowing that God made me for this. That that's why he put me on this earth. Mm. And if I could do something else, I would, but I can't I can't bring myself to do anything else. That's really good. Really good. Well, it's been a delight to have you today on our podcast, and um, I know that uh, we will we will be praying uh, for you. We will be praying with you uh, as as you continue to minister. Uh, and we just you know we're, we ask God's just richest blessing on you as you go forward, uh, opening doors that only He can only He can uh, open. And so it's re- really been a joy to follow you on your Facebook page. So uh, I would encourage people to do that because I do that. And, and uh, know, I know exactly how to pray for you. 
as I catch up with you on Facebook. So it's a great way to do that. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And and again, for those of you listening, uh, you know, be sure to check him out, find out a little bit about about Light of Life uh, and about what they're doing. We encourage you to pray for him and his ministry work there. And uh, continue to join us on our Reader Deep podcast. Until next time, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, go to dareformore.org and look up Mercy Workshop at mercyjewelry.org.